everybody. Welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm Matt Sky, and this is Rich Pasqua. Hey, everyone. And today we're doing a little bit of a, a sort of a rewind episode for those who may not understand Web3. This is the glossary episode, and we're just going to kind of go through some of the common terminology, uh, try to illuminate for those of you who are new to this space what these different terms mean. Uh, it can be a lot to digest. And what we found was an interesting article from Variety uh, by Todd Spangler. It's a great piece that just kind of super simple, gives you the, basically the eight main terms that you might come across in Web3 and crypto. And I think we're just going to kind of go down that list. Uh, and Rich, if I think this will be great. Uh, you know, elaborate on the definition and then why these different components of Web3, blockchain, crypto matter. And so <laughs> I think with with really... Without really waiting, let's just jump into the list. How about so? So like, okay, so this is the first term that I think a lot of people don't understand. I know people I talk to, I tell them about the podcast and they're like, what are you talking about? What is blockchain? And it is interesting because to us, it's so second nature. We don't even, we're like, duh, blockchain. But, but you know, Rich, maybe maybe give us sort of your, your definition of blockchain and then we'll kind of go by what Variety says as well. Sure. Um, uh, and you're 100% right. You have conversations every day and not everyone is just like, what is that? Um, and you, you want to, you know, it's important that we explain things as simple as possible so that people feel less threatened and feel like they may have a chance of jumping into this uh, really wonderful technology driven world. Um, but in, in, in its essence, um, I think of the blockchain as um, uh, almost like a, um, you know, a, a, a network that consists of a ledger, right? And that ledger is uh, being constantly updated um, um, by multiple parties um, or, you know, two or multiple parties, depending on what kind of contracts you put together. But, you know, Contracts are crafted, two parties or multiple parties uh, agree on something, and it's recorded into the blockchain, or a block is added to the blockchain. Um, and this is kind of indelible. You can't undo it. You can always kind of rewrite um, a different agreement. But um, after a certain amount of transactions are completed or added to the ledger and consensus is uh, created between two parties, um, a block is created, and and that's the the contract is is uh, is satisfied at that point. A lot of people uh, maybe see a familiarity with blockchain and peer to peer technology when they think back to LimeWire or Napster or Kazaa. This is, in some ways, isn't it kind of fair to say that this is the more sophisticated expansion on what we saw back in the late '90s, the early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, we hear these analogies all the time, and I think um, they're interesting and they're they're good for people who have historic knowledge with some of those peer-to-peer uh, -peer networks um, to make analogies and kind of understand this this world a little bit more. But it goes beyond that. So the idea of peer-to-peer, -peer, yep, or node-to-node, -node, um, or two parties wanting to um, uh, come to an agreement on something and make it truthful or indelible. Um, <clears throat> the LimeWires of the world or the Napsters of the world were connect, 
Um, you really didn't know it was kind of autonomous. You connect to servers and or individual people. The idea of the network and being able to do, download one file from multiple places or packets is very, very similar to the blockchain, but the blockchain does so much more in the sense of, yes, it's connecting um, two parties together or nodes, if you will, for validation, but it's also allowing for technology to sit on top of it and say, you know what, we're not only gonna connect together, we're gonna craft a, 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 a smart contract between the two of us um, so that it's all recorded um, and there's no dispute over ownership or, or value. Um, so very similar, but much more sophisticated. Right. So we're running, we're running entire applications. We're running sophisticated code, but in, in a sense, it's still shared in that sense across all everyone's computer is hosting the blockchain. I think that's the point that maybe people don't fully understand. There's not like, you know, Amazon web services, blockchain.com. This is powered by by the world, right? Yeah, and another term that we really like to use quite often is the world's computer, right? So you have people who are staking, um, and there's proof of work, which is a whole probably a whole other <laughs> episode, but you also have miners who are, are actually, as you ping the network um, and put forth a query or and or a transaction, um, they're validating it. They're validating it between two nodes. And that's how people make you know, money mining because they get paid for it. Um, and then there are gas fees. But yes, it's ultimately connecting you to the world's computer. The world's computer is doing the computations. They come back to each party. They're validated and come back as a um, satisfied contract. And I know when you said it, I heard the beginner in my mind and friends asking, what is a smart contract? Well, it's a it's a contract. So if we use quite quite simply, if we look at the idea of an NFT or a non fungible token, there it, it's actually um, they're going to ask that a one smart too. contract. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that. Of What's course, an NFT? But it is a it, <laughs> right. Well, we can just lead right into it Let's if we want. It. But um, you know. Uh, a smart contract, in essence, is a, a piece of code that, or a, a contract that sits on top of uh, the of the blockchain. Or, in this case, an NFT has a smart contract built into it. Meaning, I go on, I mint a an NFT. Um, you know, I pay gas fees to do okay, that. Okay, minting and gas fees. Um, Tell us what those which two is, things could mean. be. Ethereum. Yeah, I think minting and gas fees. Well, gas fees. You know. Yeah. So if you're, if you think of the, again, the world's computer, we want to mint something that's indelible, right? Um, we have to pay gas fees um, and they're nominal charges so that you get to work on the world's computer and mint that token. So um, you pay a small uh, fee to, to play and have these, have these NFTs generated um, and then you've got your NFT right there. Within the NFT, there generally is a light, you know, smart contract. And I, I call them not so smart contracts for NFTs because all it's really doing, and it, it, I'm, I'm not denigrating it, it's just 
um, there's so much more you can do with smart contracts and, and the blockchain. Um, but what, what it, it in essence does is it establishes ownership. Okay. So you mint your first NFT and whatever it may be, a piece of art or could be a contract or a piece of code for that matter. Um, you mint it, then you would put it onto, um, you, you own it. You have the keys to that. Um, you put it on a, a network or an exchange or a marketplace, if you will, and you attract people to your art, your medium, whatever it may be. It could be music, um, could be anything really. And that someone wants it, or you have a bidding, uh, a, you know, a, a bidding uh, kind of auction uh, in place with a lot of these. Some people just buy them in the back end, or they buy them outright, um, and. The, there is a transfer of ownership at that point. Once funds are met in the middle, everyone's in agreement, uh, then you have a transfer of ownership. Uh, with that said, um, you, you know, there's, there's so much more you can actually do with this. On the contract side, which is, this is where it gets a little more interesting, mm. is you could stipulate Maybe it's going to multiple parties or me as the creator of the NFT, I can actually put in how much money, one, how much money I want for the actual NFT. And two, I can actually take percentages of the earnings from every time that NFT sells, whether it be once, twice, or a hundred times. Um, I can take ownership or uh, percentages of the earnings from that. So it's really interesting. And I think just a quick rewind, I think that was a great description. The minting process, I think people would wanna understand that that is effectively implanting code onto the blockchain permanently and publicly, right? That's what happens when you mint something. Yeah, and it's, it, it, you know, the, it, it, there's a block made and it is, okay, it's Matt's NFT that he just created. The one thing that most people don't understand is that some of the data associated with that particular smart contract or NFT lives on other servers. So if it's a piece of, if it's a graphic, an animation, um, a piece of audio uh, or a piece of code, it may live uh, on, an, on a, a, a normal web 2.0 style server. Um, and every time you want to access that NFT and or sell it, that data or those links to that, those mediums are associated with the actual smart contract. The smart contract itself is inked on, I shouldn't say inked, but <laughs> digitally marked inked. or a block is created on the blockchain digitally. Right. Um, uh, and uh, most people don't understand that is a little bit of a, I, I'm not a, a big fan of that method where, you know, you have assets all over the place and you're just pinging different networks to pull them down. Um, also, if you have high resolution images associated with your piece that you're allowing someone to access the high res uh, image so they can print it uh, either at a facility or at home um, or a video, a high resolution video, uh, whereas on the forward facing, uh, NFT side on, you know, the web interface, it's a bit more, you know, 
normal resolution or 72, uh, you know, uh, 1080p maybe. Uh, but if you have a super high resolution image or, or sound or video, that might be, that might live on a separate server. So interesting things. And there's also subsequently there is care and feeding, <laughs> which most people don't understand is that you actually have to check up on these links to make sure that that's a great point. The, ho the provider is doing their part to make sure that, uh, that content, that those assets are still there. Yeah, that's true. I guess people don't always think when you say it's on the blockchain, they assume that the actual asset. So when they're buying a very high multimedia image, what you're really looking at is the contract exists on the blockchain, the solidification of that, of that purchase and that ownership is defined there. So when you buy Jack Dorsey's tweet, it doesn't now live on the blockchain. You are just saying you own the tweet. And so uh, it's an, it's an important, but subtle, but important distinction. Um, I so want a Jack Dorsey. Do you? <laughs> I'm just yeah, I'm joking. Really need one. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think you brought up a really great point too. And I think this is important for people is that we're really seeing the infancy here of what NFTs are capable of. And in this episode, we're really just giving you the, the lay of the land of what exists today. But what we're seeing tomorrow has so many. And when you listen to our other episodes, so many huge implications, way beyond an image of an ape or a tweet or a video even just we're talking an entire reformulation of how we how we do business. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, smart contracts, uh NFTs, smart contracts or whatever they're going to be called down the road or dapps, apps, whatever you want to call them, uh they are going to be hyper sophisticated. But the idea is that the technology kind of disappears and, you know, uh, it's all about user, inner, you know, experience at that point. And it's a very click, you know, one or two click kind of transaction type of thing. There's even, you know, as per one of our clients, Andromeda, uh, they're creating a codeless drag and drop uh, interface so that it's easy for Web 2.0 developers, product uh, innovators or, or business folks to spin up their own applications. And these applications will have much more, it'll incorporate a deeper technology like um, who knows, you know, maybe natural language, um, you know, uh, technology or, or AI or, or um, geolocation uh, technologies that are, are, are baked into it. So it's going to be technologies layered on top of uh, the blockchain in, you know, discrete applications that do specific jobs. And it's not just, you know, for, hey, uh, let's open our, our new wallets and, you know, buy this or trade that, or um, I have a, a, a DAP in there that I'm going to use every day. It could be that. But it's also, you know, if you look at, um, you know, smart contracts as a way to start to manage business production in a really intelligent way. I mean, you could actually build um, applications that are pure play um, supply chain, mm -hmm. you know, uh, monitoring mechanisms uh, where they actually have decision-making built into them. You know, if this, then that, you know, did the, the package make it its destination? You can build in security. Um, we even did that with one of our, our uh, European clients where crossing borders, we use the blockchain to, to validate cargo. Right.
um, and it be, makes it a lot easier for um, crossing borders and security, obviously. So it's enormous utility that I think some people don't always fully understand. You mentioned two words I think people are going to want to understand if they're new to this space, uh, dApps and your wallet. People hear about crypto wallets and they hear about dApps. Now, dApps, decentralized apps, but maybe you can elaborate for, for people what that entails, what that means, what distinguishes a dApp? Well, it's an application that is written in specific languages that communicate and communicates with and lives on the blockchain, right? Um, and again, it's about permissions. It's about the honest web. It's about creating uh, connections between your transaction and an end, uh, an end consumer and or uh, you know person or uh, acquaintance that you're you're wanting to deal with. Um, and it, use, it utilizes smart contracts like like we've been talking about to create different applications that do a multitude of utility-driven tasks. Uh, or it could be literally a game yeah. <laughs> on the blockchain. It could be, uh, you know, um, an elaborate uh, multiplayer networked game on the blockchain. I've been playing with uh, Step In, um, which could... has been getting a lot of press. <laughs> Oh yeah, we're gonna to have to talk yeah. more about that when you when you literally get your feet. No, up I know. Um, I, I know you're gonna you know start using that, and that that in itself is like for for that particular application. Yeah, but cool. didn't give away any. Uh, I like I like your uh, unique. Yeah, right? For that application, you know there, you know it's it, it's a gamified scenario where you're earning based on the steps you take or, or, or mileage, if you will. Um, but it also opens up a kind of an economic community of buying, selling, and or trading sneakers with other people uh, within the network. So it really, it, it's a, I would consider an experiment, um, but a, a really wonderful one, you know, uh, and I, I hope we see more kind of physical, uh, you know, physical, digital um, applications down the road. I have, I have a question. In this article uh, on Variety by Todd Spangler, is this a typical way of saying it? It says, um, you know, okay, so DAPS smart contracts are automated programs stored on a blockchain that run when predetermined conditions are met. And then he goes on to say, Bitcoin is an example of a DAP. I guess it is an ADAPT, right? I mean, it's, a, it's not typically what we think of because Bitcoin is Bitcoin. It's so huge. But I guess in a sense, it is ADAPT, right? Well, well yeah. I mean, uh, uh, to me, Bitcoin is the ultimate store of, of value because it's been around. It's been around the longest. It's, it's the first time that cryptography has been created uh, with exponential um, growth and or loss uh, baked into it. Um, and it, it really truly is special um, outside of the Ethereum's or any, any other altcoins because it's been the most stable. But you ha what, one thing you have to realize is, you know, a Bitcoin, everyone's just like, oh, it's just a theoretical <laughs> thing that lives in the, in the atmosphere. Well, well, yeah, kind of, but... But it's actually at the root of it, it is just a piece of technology, right? And the difference between, say, Bitcoin, which is allows you to transact, it's more, it's purely like a financial transaction type of technology. Uh, oppose, you know, opposing that is 
or next to that is Ethereum. And the interesting part and why many years ago uh, when Vitalik opened uh, the Ethereum network to everyone, it built on top of the, the blockchain. It built, it allows you to build applications on top of it, utilizing um, the Bitcoin network as well. So that was the exciting part. And then from there, it just took off. And, you know, there are different protocols and, um, you know, different, uh, different ecosystems and different protocols that are building on top of their world that share or use Ethereum or Polygon or, you know, um, Solana mm -hmm. networks or Sol. Um, so, yeah, it's, so uh, it was it's, the it's, it's definitely you can see can consider it as a it dap, was the yeah. dap that almost and ethereum is like bitcoin 2.0 in some ways and it's almost the dap that allows for dapps to live on that dap so it's a decentralized dap in a sense we usually don't refer to these as yeah. you know when you say ethereum bitcoin we usually don't refer to them as dapps but it's an interesting way of thinking about that technically it is i also think a lot of people uh listening to this episode who are new to the space are probably wondering what wallets are that's a term that's thrown around a lot and the wallet space is a little murky because there are different types of wallets. There's different, uh, you know, ways to get set up. Coinbase has a wallet. Uh, maybe you can elaborate for us how that process works. What is a crypto wallet? Well, uh, first and foremost, is there's multitudes of <laughs> different kinds of wallets, right? So you have hard wallets and soft wallets. Let's just leave it at that for now. But, um, you know, for this, the sake of argument here, a soft wallet, right, is something that is a software-based wallet that allows you, or it, it actually, in essence, is an application itself or a DAP that allows you to access different uh, cryptocurrencies and, and other mediums you have or NFTs that you have might be in, stored in there as well. Um, but it allows you to kind of connect transact with other uh, other wallets or other people. Um, so you're sending one address to another address or sending a, a key to an, to another key, uh, another wallet that's decrypting it, validating it on the blockchain, transaction complete. You can also flip currencies. A lot of wallets will allow you to kind of exchange. Oh, I wanna roll X amount of Bitcoin into Ethereum because I'm starting up a new project and I need money for gas fees or tokens for gas fees. And then you can go and subsequently transact with other networks as well. But uh, yeah, but at the end of the day, it allows you to store other applications or dApps and or NFTs or smart contracts. Um, hardware wallets uh, are a little bit different. You can definitely, they're getting more sophisticated, mm -hmm. but the whole idea of a hardware wallet is to put your keys for all your various um, cryptocurrencies uh, into cold storage, right? And that's the safest way to, to do things. And it's more or less hacker-proof at that if point, you take right? it out of an exchange. It's more or less hacker-proof once you've put it, uh, not hacker-proof, you never want to call anything Yeah, proof. I mean, you would... <laughs> but it's a lot harder. It's locally stored. Yeah, I mean, you would have to physically, you would have to physically get your hands on it. You would have to know the past 12 word pass keys for it to just even see what's inside of it. Um, but it's really interesting when we're talking about wallets is, you know, custodial versus non-custodial, right? So when you're, when you've got money on an exchange, your 
technically you own those bitcoins and you could, or whatever cryptocurrency you have and you can move them around any way you want in and out of the exchange or convert but you're not the custodian of them at that point true you know custodial uh um how do i say um rights mm -hmm. come when you have it in a either a secure truly secure um soft wallet and or a hard wallet so if you notice uh, years ago there was you know something with the exchanges oh it was when um i think bitcoin was going rolling over uh you know rolling off uh, litecoin uh, not litecoin um there, there was a, you know, whenever there's a hard fork on, on something, that happened with Bitcoin. And that's just when a People network splits off into two like, pieces. Make sure. Yeah. There's a disagreement well, yeah, it's, among it's the, the, it's, yeah. it's, it's the development community. Yeah, it's a disagreement or a, a, opposing uh, uh, strategies from two sides of the development community. Uh, and it forks, yes. right? So that's happened with Bitcoin and also you see BTC Classic, well, but, you see Ethereum um, Classic. As these networks evolved, you see people who want to stay in the older versions. Yeah. Right. You'll see whenever there's a kind of a big event like that, you'll start to see the exchanges, uh, whether it's, you know, Coinbase or whatever, um, people will start to pull their kind of reserve money out of the exchanges um, and put it into either a soft wallet or a hard wallet because – they don't know. People get a little skittish. At least years ago, they did. So, um, but really, nothing too much to worry about there. But yeah, that's that's the general theory there. I think let's clarify gas fees. That's a term that a lot of people hear. What is a gas fee, and uh, how can you avoid them? <laughs> that's the question we're all wondering. The, yeah, I mean, it, it. Unfortunately, nothing is free in yeah. this world, right? <laughs> So especially, you know, crypto is not the uh, the answer for everything. But, but who's getting um, paid? Really, gas yeah. fees. It, yeah, well, gas fees generally is a fee you pay to do a service on the blockchain, right? Or interact with a game. That's a service. Interact minting an NFT. That's a service. So every time you want to interact or or build applications so a lot of in, in our world we have developers building on test nets and then releasing uh, uh software builds if you will to the world's computer or the blockchain they have to pay for that so there's gas fees there and what happens is your transactions whether it be uh, you know minting or selling or buying an nft one of the parties or if not both or both i should say have to pay a fee so that miners and people doing proof of work on the networks get paid to do those computations for you, if that makes sense. So miners, how do they make money? They make money by problem solving problems on their computers, usually big farms yep. or like I had one years ago. It was a six GPU wow. uh uh, Ethereum miner, uh, I was solving problems for other people and I was getting rewarded for that. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, you're, you're paying someone to operate the world's computer and actually do the computations. Those computations might be broken up 
over thousands of packets and then brought back. And you're, what they're doing is validating uh, on specific nodes. This node validates it and this one validates it, or it might be, that's a closed network. If it's an, a truly decentralized network, it could be millions of computers doing But this. before Ethereum transitions into its new, say, proof of stake, how would someone be a validator currently? How are they making their money currently as a validator? You would be, um, you'd be a miner. Okay. So you could run mining, you could mine off your laptop as long as you don't mind your <laughs> processing power to kind of dip quite a bit. Um, the next thing are like ant miners, which are small miners, right? You can run them in your home office or wherever at work, whatever. Um, you have to pay for electric. They, they consume electric, gotcha. right? So you have to factor that into how you're doing things. There are mining farms. These are the people that are actually solving the problem. Well, all, we all are. You can run a miner off of a thumb drive, um, you know? So it's just a matter of processing speed will and, and capacity uh, and the ability to crunch lots of numbers at once will actually help to earn you more down the road. That's why you see lots of giant um, mining farms. Yeah, I know this for a while, it's starting to become a big market cooling. and now we're starting to see a shift where that may not be such a thing. Uh, if holding, uh, if staking is, is the new direction. I want to jump to yeah. cryptocurrency because I think some people get the, the, the different components a bit confused that there's crypto, there's the technology, there's blockchain, but then there's cryptocurrency. Maybe if you can elaborate and, uh, and, and tell us the distinguishing factors between these two terms, crypto, cryptocurrency. Well, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is, okay, there's cryptocurrency. And what is a cryptocurrency? A cryptocurrency could be um, an altcoin, could be uh, Sol or Solana, because that's the kind of the tokens they use to fuel their ecosystem. Um, th there's um, uh, ETH, you know, ETH or Ethereum. That's what kind of powers their network. Um, it's, it's used to power and to operate on the world's computer, but it's also a, a, a means of currency. And certainly Bitcoin is too. Um, it can't be duplicated. That's first and foremost. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it, you know, uh, it's it usually a decentralized kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, chain-based system of cryptography, basically, um, uh, and you can use it to barter, sell, and, and buy, you know, digital assets uh, as needed. The the interesting part is um, people don't realize, like, oh, I, I, you know, they go to their wallets or their exchanges and like, I can just buy this or that. Well, that, I've seen really cool experiments where you know you have a fifth grade class that spins up their own tokens. Right. And they create a merit-based uh, economy. You know, it might be, hey, you did something cool for me. I'm going to give you another fraction of a token. And you start to realize and learn very, very quickly how global markets work. It'd be a great classroom. Right? I and, wish we and, had classrooms uh, like or that. Or local. <laughs> uh, you, you and me both, buddy. 
Um, but people don't realize like anyone can spin, spin up a token, anyone. So an NFT in essence is money. It is cryptocurrency. And we're seeing that now. So when you go to the exchanges, you mint it, you promote it, you sell it, you take a slice of those earnings over time. They go up to exchanges or markets, if you will. People see them. I want that. Matt's got a whole collection of crypto punks or something like that. I want to, you know, you know, uh, I want to offer him money for them. So it's like it becomes a currency and it becomes a market in which people can make money very rapidly or over time or not at all. <laughs> you know, how many times people do people spin up NFTs and thinking, you know what, it, this is, you know, it is like a currency and I'm going to mint a thousand or 2000 of them. And, you know, that value will exponentially grow. And I'm always going to, to partake and participate in the earnings of that. Um, but it, it could be used as currency. I mean, you know, you could trade a, you know, a $20,000 crypto punk or a bored ape for, you know, other goods and services that you might want. Do you see... So in essence, it is a, it is a currency. Now, I think people, when they read the news, they'll notice that these all, I mean, the crypto markets in general, extreme volatility. I mean, just absolutely off the chain, off the chain vol volatility. Uh, do you see a future where we start to see that stabilize, where people can legitimately buy something and feel that this is a rapid uh, way of, of buying products and services without wondering if you're, you're, you're giving away uh, an asset you should be holding or not holding. Or, you know, you, you buy, you buy a digital asset today and the market dumps yep. tomorrow and it's worth nothing, you know, like it's worth half the price. So, uh, that's where we introduce the idea. Well, number one, let's start at a base level. Let's start with like Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? Bitcoin will go like this or it'll go like that. And it has been doing that for several years since its inception in 2008 or 2010, really. But um, <clears throat> it will continue to do that. But as the market cap grows to trillions and trillions of dollars, you're going to start to see um, the whales, if you will, or the largest holders of tokens will kind of almost smooth out and it'll slightly just by um, the market cap itself will actually smooth it out. That's, that's one thing that I, I, I truly think will happen. But what happens is when you, when you're talking about day-to-day -day exchanges, let's pay for a cup of coffee with Ethereum or something or whatever tokens you're using. Generally that will go into us. That will be, probably be done with a stable coin. Right. And a stable coin is usually pegged to one of a few things. One, it's pegged. And that's a term that we should all start to get used to is you're pegging another another one currency to another really stable currency. So some stable coins have pegged themselves to Bitcoin. Right. Only because it's the most solid um store of value mm -hmm. on the blockchain right now, right? I'm not talking about physical gold. I'm not talking about real estate or anything else like that, which obviously has tremendous 
um, you know, uh, wealth potential and, and stability locked to them. I'm talking about something that is less <laughs> fragile than it, than than itself. So there's Bitcoin. Some others will peg it to, um, and this is the way it should be done. But there's, um, I don't think anyone's figured out the arbitrage model for pegging coins to um, to the U.S. dollar. I think it's it it's happens been attempted, right? out there. Of course, <laughs> we all know it's been attempted. Uh, it, it, well, yeah, it it, it it works. It's just there needs to be more security. And the arbitrage model of, you know, mint and burn or, you know, bin, burning uh, coins and, you know, that whole model, which I don't think we should get into right now, um, it didn't quite work out well. And I think there's a lot of bugs to be worked out. So some of them have collapsed. Some of them have maintained a steady peg to the U.S. dollar, whether that is a good thing as the dollar goes up and down too. So does Bitcoin. The other means of pegging or creating stable coins is, is pegging your specific coin to an algorithm that mimics another uh, uh, um, uh, altcoin or uh, token environment as well. That has its share of problems as well. Um, those have pancaked and kind of collapsed over time. That's a great point. And I think that's something that people should always keep in mind is we're, we're kind of watching everything under development. So it is, it's pretty, it's a roller coaster ride, but it's a good reminder that, yeah, the dollar itself is a roller coaster ride to a certain degree. Any currency is somewhat yeah. volatile. It's not always the same value as evidenced by uh, inflation and things like that. Uh, yeah, especially, especially now. now. Especially now. Uh, you know, something we've talked about in some of our previous episodes, I think I, I know that a, a beginner would want to know is what's a DAO, a Decentralized Autonomous Organization. That's a big one. <laughs> if we can unpack that in a You know, in a bit. <laughs> it, it kind of is a big one. And, we're, you know, uh, Matt, you and I talked about, you know, having some of our previous guests and future guests come on just to I kind of that, yeah. unpack that one, right? Because it truly is it, it, it's mind-blowing. And it, it it makes me smile, but it also frightens out of me, um, because really it is what a DAO is is a decentralized um, autonomous organization uh, with no particular board members. It's an organization that creates its own ecosystem, its own workflows, its own um, validation points, um, and workforce and you can create organizations that li literally live in the cloud that have no founders attached to them no real names attached to them yet everyone in that community whether it be 10 people or 10,000 people have an understanding of the rules and regulations for that community um, there are, are you can spin up any kind of economic uh, economies around these workforces or talent pools or, you know, community members. Uh, it's really interesting in the fact that when you do this, how does a, well, first and foremost, what country is this entity 
founded mm -hmm. in. It's not, uh, I have an LLC from Delaware in the U.S. Nope. Tell me where it is, and I'll go after them. You can't because it doesn't live anywhere. But the community knows where to make contact, whether that be a website, a Discord server, or anything else. They have their own rules. They set up their own communities. Now, this goes into something. I, DAOs, we're going to open, you know, we'll open up yeah, a can, you yeah. know, Pandora's box here. Um, it, it's really interesting when you start to read, you know, there's some books out there. The Network State, uh, you know, we mentioned mm -hmm. in our last podcast, phenomenal. And it introduces the idea of like-minded people creating their own societies. So think of it this, like, think of this outside of corporate America, say you're, maybe you're a naturalist and like, you know, I kind of would want to live in nature a bit more, but I'm a tech, technology minded person. And then you meet 10 other people like that and you meet another 10 people. Now you've got a community. You actually can create organizers. Um, it's not a very tiered government type of scenario, or maybe it is for you. But now you've got a virtual world. Now you can virtually raise funds to buy real land somewhere and have create a digital community that could potentially, if you partake, participate in it, you could be co-opted into, uh, uh, you know, land with others. If that's your thing, it's just an example. Um, now you take that and you add gaming, you add, you know, uh, business logics to this. And, um, you know, is it right for everyone? Absolutely not. But it's fascinating because how do regulations work per, per country? It seems like, yeah, they it don't. seems like societally, if we talk about all the different components, DAOs represent the most significant potential shift in how we govern ourselves, in how corporations are run, and how we we own communities. Because so far, we always see it as either governmentally owned or corporately owned, and those are really the two. But a DAO is sort of this third way, which is just owned by the participants of the community itself, and there's no central organizer it's run by the algorithms and that's it well i think that the the it's interesting using the the term owned if you will right and nothing if you accept and you accept the idea of letting go of owning everything because that's part of our our yeah. world um and it's okay to own stuff we all do you know, buy a house buy a car rent it lease it do whatever you want partial ownership. There's so many options and it's, you know, to each their own, but it's the idea of kind of being part of something that's slightly bigger than yourself and actually having the ability and the voice to, to, to sway a community. Uh, and it's all kind of, um, it's all balanced out by, you know, the majority of people want this. But let's keep the let's maybe keep the dialogue or the the debate open for a little while, and you can vote on that. Like, yep, let's keep it open for a while. I don't think we've examined all of the hot button topics that we should have, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can come to a resolution, and maybe some people are like, okay, that's, you know, over time, maybe it's not the right community for me, um, or business, if you will, or 
technically a community. It's maybe not right for me, but I, I'll find another community of like-minded people. Um, and it's not about bumping people out. It's about consensus. And it's about literally using a network of people to have like-minded uh, ideas and generate consensus around decisions they, they would like to make as a entity or an organization. It's a really, it's very it's interesting. really profound, very, very interesting. And I think another term uh, yeah. on this list, which I think is, you know, was on the cover of time magazine, not too long ago, might currently still be on it. Uh, metaverse. And <laughs> if we were hearing metaverse, um, a lot of different definitions. This definition is sort of saying a virtual reality space in which users can interact with a computer-generated environment with virtual objects, artificial intelligence elements, kind of compares it to the Matrix and that whole thing. Um, but Metaverse is a little more than that, too. I think it's a good, you know, overview. But maybe we can dive into the fact that the Metaverse kind of exists as a concept even today. It's not some sci-fi thing that's 10 years into the future. Right, Rich? Yeah, I mean, if 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 you've been involved in in VR or or any of this for a while, I mean, metaverse is just a name. You know, they're co-opting virtual reality, right? Or you know, in, in essence, uh, I, in the early '90s, I created a, the, one of the first virtual bookstores with a buddy of mine. We were working for a big publisher at the time, and we did it as a goof, just to show people like you could actually open up books and check there? it out. <laughs> yeah, well, you could, you could, at that point, we didn't have it so you can read it, but you can actually go to specific sections, like, let's go to sci-fi, wow. and you can look on the shelves, you can see the book cover art, the, the titles and the authors and all that stuff. So it's been around for ages and ages, way older than me, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> maybe not, <laughs> um, but, but to me... You know, these environments already exist. They're called gaming platform, multiplayer gaming platforms. They're all over the place. Roblox is one of the best examples or, you know, Fortnite or, or you know, um, Minecraft for that matter. Now, if you take everything we talked about, smart contracts, the blockchain, NFTs, NFT skins, all that stuff, you start to introduce a lot of these economic models, a lot of these trading models, a lot of these markets, if you will, uh, or exchanges into that world, it becomes more like a real world than just, you know, putzing around, putting blocks in place or blowing each other up. It becomes an environment where now you can create businesses, you can create entities, you can create buildings or destinations, right? But to me, uh, and again, another another topic you and I would could unpack for days on end. What is truly the metaverse to me? A metaverse is not Mar Mark Zuckerberg creating a platform. It's not Microsoft creating a platform. Uh, although Microsoft owns tons of gaming companies, and they're poised, I think, to do quite well in this space uh, over time. But to me, it's not. Oh, let's log into Xbox or let's lo log into, you know, Meta's Horizon. Um, that those are those are a couple of different de destinations. To me, it's the con connected tissue between all of the blockchain tools, um, the economics you can bake into it, 
the communications, the contracts, the everything, the the digital assets you can create, but it's also the connected tissue between worlds. So if you go and say, join the metaverse and you go into Mark Zuckerberg's, you know, um, metaverse or horizon, you're in one. It's only a world. You're right. It's not the universe. The universe is all the worlds that are being developed. It could be Microsoft's. It could be Meta's. It could be horizon. It could be all the ones down the pipeline, Decentraland, et cetera. But the metaverse itself is the culmination of all these different places you can visit. Yeah, and I, I like the, the use of the idea of a universe. Like the metaverse should be the universe. Mm-hmm. Meta, Xbox, Sony, all, all these companies, those are planets. And you may live on a different planet. But at some point, I want to go visit Matt on his planet. Right. <laughs> and maybe it's a planet you create. Planet Matt. Yeah. Maybe it's your own planet. I mean, that is not uh, uh, off the, uh, you know, that is not. Much like, much like NFTs and, and, and the idea of digital currency, anyone, a five-year-old can spin one up. You know, um, it's, not, it's not crazy. At some point, we will be able to spin up a virtual office that Matt and I create or, you know, Jared and the rest of the team creates. Um, and or we can have our own worlds that we only invite our friends or whatever it may be. To me... You know, it's it's about universe and planets, right? And then, you know, certainly we can go into like Milky Ways, yeah. Yeah. black holes and all that good stuff, but we don't know what those are yet. So <laughs> um, to me, it's about this kind of really rich um, connected tissue. So if I want to bounce from Rich's planet to Jared's planet to Matt's planet, um, you know, to, to Meta's world, yeah, let, let's do it. We can do it. And, you know, maybe over time, the economic models and the kind of uh, the fiscal transaction models will will flatten out and become a little bit more ubiquitous and kind of seamless um, over time. But we're not there yet. I don't I don't think people should be talking about the metaverse even just yet. I mean, they should be. It's, it's interesting, but I just think we're so far off. Well, I'm glad you brought up, in a sense, you know, when we talk about dApps, when we talk about your wallet, when we talk about your NFTs, those that's like your kind of your almost your backpack as you navigate these different worlds or your trunk in your car or your spaceship. I don't know, whatever, whatever the best analogy is, but it's it's I think it's useful for people to understand. That's why these two are integral and why they're in the same conversation, because as we start to jump between these different virtual worlds, we're going to have certain assets we take with us between these different worlds, presumably, right? Absolutely, yeah. And the idea is that you connect the wallet, jump into the metaverse. And again, it's not one one planet or another or one platform or another. It could be anyone. But let's, for the sake of argument, we go into the, you know, Meta's uh, horizon or whatever, whatever planet you want to go onto or, or metaverse universe you want to go into, uh, yeah, you'll have your wallet or your backpack with you. You'll have skins for that game. You'll have currency that you have queued up or maybe converted to that, that platform's currency so that you can kind of barter and trade. Perhaps you're starting a business within that world. Perhaps you're creating a virtual office. You know, maybe 
you know, you're a real estate company and you create a virtual real estate where you can buy virtual real estate from them and or real real estate, who knows? Um, but you will have the tools that you need to kind of do what you need to do. And subsequently, outside of the metaverse, we'll have our soft wallets right on our phones. And maybe it's work accreditation or uh, certificates or you know, work history is validated on the blockchain at some point. Um, your driver's license, your, um, your, your, your passports for what, whichever country you, you know, uh, reside in all live on a path, you know, on your particular wallet. That is a potential, you know, that's all part of your backpack or your wallet. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's always just funny when we mention offices existing in VR, in the metaverse, they always depict it as like a boring office of today. <laughs> it's always like a regular table <laughs> with a regular boardroom with a whiteboard. Like, I, I just, I have to imagine that maybe the office of the future is much more dynamic and interactive and conceptual there. I guess what I'm saying is I think there are landscapes even like we, we envision even the mall of the metaverse is looking like a mall, but who's to say it has to look like anything we've ever seen. You could be swimming and flying through completely new terrains, which have immense implications for marketers and opens up uh, your, our imaginations in ways never, ever before possible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're, we're only limited by imagination, really. Um, uh, and, and, th and that's up to the end, you know, content creator and or developers uh, for those particular worlds. Um, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think for getting people onboarded, it's what they're used to. And it's like, oh, there's the kitchen. Let's go hang out by the water cooler and chat. Uh, let's go to our yeah. cubicles. Like, who wants to do that <laughs> in real life? And, well, the water cooler thing is I like cool. It. It's okay. You know, talking to your coworkers is cool. No, it's yeah. great, but it's like, to your point, why reproduce the real world when we can have a fantastical work environment? I'll have a meeting you with know, you with, on a dragon you know, flying around a surreal mountainscape or something. Why yeah, Why it, does it have to it, resemble it, the real world if we're already in virtual? Exactly. Like, you know, a perfect work environment would be is like comfortable chair and 360 degrees of whiteboards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go. Yes. That's a great office environment to me. And maybe it's, maybe it's in an atrium, a beautiful atrium uh, with trees and nature, because that's what I would want to work work in. Right. Um, so who knows? I think that's a creativity thing and people will blow that as soon as the tools are in place, they'll blow that out of the water, hopefully. And it'll just be very unique. And that could be, you know, that could be a service that's generated to people like creating custom virtual environments for your company. What works almost like virtual architects. Right? Let's do a little. So this brings me, this brings me to a little bit of, um, and I don't want to, you know, this has been in the news a little bit and I don't want to open this up too much, but the idea of Meta's first beta released mm -hmm. and it's like doughy <laughs> play, you know, uh, play school people, um, it does nothing for me. And in fact, um, <clears throat> I've seen better renderings in VR 10 years ago. Um, with that said, to give, 
Meta and their development teams the benefit of the doubt. We know that they're opening up to millions of people. They're not, it's not a controlled environment of 10,000 people. It's millions of people, right? So you've got um, hardware and software constraints yeah. and whatnot. So I, I get it. I just hope for a lot more, and I think people will want a lot more. Um, and, you know, uh, if you really want people to adopt these environments, they have to feel like, they can make it their own and it's really enjoyable and it, and it simulates something like you were saying before, Matt, maybe it's something more fantastical, but give them control. I think that second point you said is the most vital aspect moving forward. And it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. I'll, I'll forgive. I know people are making fun of it. I'll forgive the fact that there's a, a bit of a clunky design because you want global accessibility. You want developing countries to be able to tap in. You want people with low bandwidth or low hardware or, without a, a, a big processor to get in. But um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like if you can't customize it, then that becomes a problem. If, if you can't, if you can develop and design the space, the technology will, you know, the rendering technology will get better worldwide as we move. But that, that ability to shape those worlds is everything. It sounds like that's the direction, but again, like we said, it's one of many worlds. So maybe people get preoccupied on just one world yeah. or the other as they can coexist. I, I think the, the whole idea of it is that you can make it your own, right? Um, but to what fidelity um, that's to be determined just yet. And again, that's hardware and software constraints. Um, we've always had to deal with that. It's nothing new to anyone else. Uh, whether you do 3D modeling, you're going to have to have a certain computer. If you're running Microsoft Word and, and watching videos on your computer, get a Chromebook. Don't buy anything expensive, you know? Um, uh, this is, a, it's a lot more sophisticated, a lot more users, um, a lot more pressure put on, on the networks themselves. But the whole goal is to make it yours, carve out your niches for your company, um, carve out social events, you know, um, and give people the tools they need to do that. How simple or elaborate may be, you might see catering services you might be you know you might see people who just design events you know i mean look at look at the uh the virtual you know fortnite ha having uh concerts yeah. you know or roblox having actual you know live events that's phenomenal i think it's beautiful and i think that's like one of the the cool thing and now you can become a company maybe a service company that helps people put on live speaking events in the virtual world and creating these beautiful environments. That to me is super cool and actually builds out alternative ways to make money. But it is a really great point mentioning Roblox and the others that really the gamers have already been in this territory and are probably gonna be the ones who guide us into yeah. this world. If you haven't been a gamer, the gamers are the ones we should be probably listening to now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and it, it, it's it's interesting because we have, uh, you know, one of our team members, Jared, he's a young, you know, smart guy. And he's like me. I mean, you know, in the sense we game, um, I don't do too much gaming as, as I used to, but it's definitely a specific culture of if it doesn't work, I'm going to figure it out. Um, I want to build something new in here. They're adventurous. 
they're tech forward. But subsequently, Jared has been able to help us navigate Discord and other communication channels where gamers do hang out. Subsequently, NFT holders hang out. Technologists hang out. Developers hang out. And you can craft really unique environments, you know, um, and invite people into your world and actually control the, you know, uh, have open dialogue, but control the channels that they see or don't see. So now it's an internal, um, as we use it, it's an internal tool for communications and then an external tool for um, disseminating thought leadership, videos, how-tos, and just pure dialogue. Um, understanding these worlds is hyper important, not just at a game level, but at a communication level. Where are they at? Where's everyone at? It's Discord. Um, subsequently, you know, like Twitch and yeah. all those, they, you know, people are live streaming off of all these things. And Twitch is definitely a very popular gaming community. But Discord happens to be one that literally built a very robust uh, it's a very robust tool. I find Twitch it's, so fascinating. It's cool. I, I, Twitch, I, I heard people joke that Twitch is kind of like all the little brothers whose older brothers wouldn't let them play games when they were a kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is, well, it's an interesting yeah. dynamic. I mean, who would have thought that watching others play games would have become such an unbelievable marketplace and, and community? I mean, it really is. It, it, it is. They pick up on it. And, you know, the Twitch, it might, I have a 14-year-old you know, son who loves Twitch. He loves gaming. Um, uh, you know, whether it be multi, you know, uh, kind of a first-person game or a multi multiplayer universe that he's involved in. Um, they like to watch Twitch to learn, but it's also a form... I'll hear my son just laughing, just for nonstop laughing, because the guy on the other end's doing something wacky in his big old uh, gaming chair, and he's saying something funny, and he's making commentary as he's stalking someone through the woods in this environment or something. Uh, and they become, it's almost comedic. Right. You know, it's almost like a, a mini comedy show. Uh, and there's a couple of, uh, you know, guys that I've tuned in to over the years that will have you crying because you're laughing so hard. Um, it truly is an, a form of entertainment. Um, but the platform is, is pretty robust and it's really interesting on, and seeing how it kind of actually blossomed and took off, you know. As we sort of wrap up, there's one last uh, term that we didn't really cover and I think this kind of leads us back into just telling people how they can begin uh, if they're new to this space. Obviously, they can always go to ARC and arctai.com and, and reach out to us. But um, let's use this term secondary market. And this is covered. Uh, Todd in, in this article discusses this. In the finance world, a secondary market provides a platform where existing owners of stocks and other securities can buy, sell, or trade those assets. In the context of NFTs, a secondary market functions similarly, providing a marketplace. I think we already sort of covered some of that territory, but are there any additional thoughts in terms of, of secondary markets that we might want to just let people be aware of who are new to this space, Rich? Yeah, I mean, I think you always, no matter what you're, what you're investing in, homes, cars, Bitcoin, 
altcoins, anything down the road. Um, maybe it's virtual real estate. Who knows? You're always going to need second markets to promote and make connections between buyer and seller, right? No different than the NASDAQ or anything else, the Nikkei. You connect buyers and sellers for stocks. Whether it's a good investment, that's up to you and the research you 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 provide yourself or others provide to you. Um, there are, there's always a need, but also in the true spirit of cryptocurrency or cryptography is the idea of peer-to-peer. I'm interacting with you, Matt. You're interacting with me. There's absolutely no one in between. Secondary markets are exactly what they they, they say. Secondary, not first. <laughs> in the title. Um, or one-to-one. Yeah. -one. So there is, there they exist for a reason. They're helping you connect people, but there's also fees with it. So always, always keep that in mind. Um, I think there's wonderful uh, uh, NFT platforms that are great, very gated and guarded communities. Some of them uh, uh, invite only. Some of them are, uh, you know, you have to be invited by another top artist to get in the, into it. Um, and then some like OpenSea are just like completely, completely open. Now, what I find very interesting um, outside of NFTs and whatnot, but cryptocurrencies in general, through the idea of um, ETFs, right, which are, I, I would never buy an ETF because it's not real. It's like buying an ETF stock. Mm -hmm. It's not really real. You're buying the paper. You're buying the idea. Just people buy gold. Well, if you're not buying a bar, literally a bar of gold right. and having it shipped to you or going to pick it up or putting it in a specific vault, don't buy it because you're not buying gold. An ETF is not real. And that's what's happening in the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin world. Um, ETFs, BlackRock is spinning one uh, up. Is there uh, merit ETFs? Uh, I, I don't necessarily. D in certain cases? Yeah. I mean, is there merit? Yeah, I mean, you're I, like. Was is the there question? merit to ETFs in certain contexts? Because they are pretty popular right now. Uh, personally, I don't mind them because it gets more people into <laughs> it. Um, I don't think there's dramatic risk uh, involved. But what you don't get with an ETF is complete ownership or custodial ownership. You don't, if you don't have the keys you are subject to whatever that organization does, good or bad. They may make you tons of money because they have the best analysts watching over your money. And maybe that's part of what you pay for, analysts, right? Um, just like a JP Morgan or anyone else, you pay, not pay, they take money out of your earnings or take a percentage because they're, they're giving you a preferred data, if you will. Um, you have to watch, you know, you have to watch what you're doing and you have to understand good or bad, bad going down or something went wrong and the company collapses. Uh, you do not hold those keys. If you do not hold your keys to your coins, you're at, you're at risk of a lot of things, not just uh, a bad. It seems markets. like the people who have lost uh, really taking taking a, a, a dive have, have been in 
in situations just like that where they have not had that secure cold wallet ownership, right? Yeah. I mean, every time um, the, some kind of you know, hack is there's it's, that yeah, and hacks or like you said, certain companies just yeah, collapse, et cetera. They, they may have. Yeah, exactly. So a protocol collapses and there's no, there's virtually no way out of it. A loss is a loss unless by some miracle they resurrect their, their currency. Um, you're, you're out of luck. You're, you're way out of luck, but that's the gamble. You know, high risk, high reward, you know, high reward comes with high risk. So, um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of investors learned their lessons uh, over the past year. Um, that's not to say you should leave your crypto locked up in a vault forever. Uh, uh, you should have fun, but leak it out. Take earnings. You know, don't be afraid to take earnings on your money. Um, leak it out, experiment with NFTs, experiment with, um, different technologies, have some fun. That's what, that's what this is about too. But ultimately understand that the, the one who owns their keys is the, the sole, sole proprietor of those keys. The, the, the only, and owner. I think a great point is that if you're really curious about getting into crypto and getting into blockchain, it's not really a way to get into it. It's a way to maybe make a buck or two on the price fluctuations, but you have to kind of own your own wallet. You have to kind of start playing with the technologies firsthand. Am I right on that? It, it seems like you're a little bit removed if you're just playing with ETFs or if you're just purely on the marketplaces, if you never actually delve in, oh, you're only going to get a small snapshot of what this uh, thing absolutely. is. Yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely need, you definitely need, um, you definitely need a wallet for sure. Um, you can always play with the paper ETFs, you know, um, that's fine. Uh, maybe your threshold uh, for risk is only this. Um, your threshold for learning a new type of technology or managing your way through a new technology is is small. That's fine. Just get involved in some way. Um but the fun part about it is once you start kind of dipping your toes in, you've got a wallet, you start to trade, you flip coins for other ones, you dollar cost average on something, you're learning about economics, number one. And number two, you're learning about something completely new and just mind-blowing. Mind uh, and then three, you, you kind of, your eyes open up and you start to say, wow, what if we can use this? technology for that and you're as soon as you're into it you want more it's not in a greedy way you want to see the prolific proliferation of this technology because it, it's starting to make sense to going you. down and the rabbit the hole part. we all call it going down the rabbit hole yes rich i have a question i think yeah. as we wrap up um pretend yeah. let's pretend for a second it's hard to pretend but let's say you did not have decades of experience with this and you're a total newbie, you're totally fresh, where would you start? What's what's the right place for someone who's just, they're like, what is it? How, I like what I'm hearing. Should I get a wallet? Should I get on Coinbase, MetaMask? Where should I begin? What, what, what are the places you recommend? Well, the, the good thing is just kind of get the core knowledge out, right? And it's been around long enough so that you can do a Google search, you can watch tons of videos, or you can hit up a good friend who's been involved in it or a relative or someone like that and say, hey, how do I get started? 
Start the conversation, start the research, number one. But certainly, you probably want to get yourself a Coinbase or, you know, uh, you know on, uh, an account on one of the exchanges. Um, open up that FTX, account. Finance. Put a little bit of finance, money into I should it. say, I, rather. Yeah. Binance, yeah, you could do, there's, there's, there's tons of them. Um, I would say do your homework on those, yeah. too. Uh, you know, Coinbase is U.S., centered, uh, um, you know, make your own decisions on those. Some are China-based or whatever, you know, overseas. Um, you know, start to dump a little bit of money into it. And it doesn't even, like I tell people, put five bucks in, put 50 bucks in or 5,000 in. It's what your, you know, what's your tolerance uh, uh, for, for this and what's your knowledge? I wouldn't go dumping tons of money into something that you did not understand, uh, first and foremost. Um, but then from there, what you want to do is you can use your exchange as a, um, there's vaults and or wallets that they have, but I tend to go with more third-party wallets that have different uh, feature sets. Um, you certainly can get yourself a MetaMask wallet, which plugs right into your uh, either your phone or your um, your browser, which is cool because now if you're interacting with Web3 applications on the World Wide Web, now you can instantly have your wallet there and all of your your, your goods there and your money there. Um, and you can start interacting. Um, but definitely do your research, understand how transactions work, right? Even though, like, if I'm moving money around, I always give myself a 15-minute, 10, 10 minute, five minute, you know, refresher. Okay, gotta do this, <laughs> not that. Remember the network is sometimes slow, so don't panic. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's funny because I was, you know, even some of the more consumer-friendly apps like uh, Stepin, which I've been playing around with. Uh, you realize that you have to be used to the fact that everything's a little janky still. You know, like it kind of, it doesn't quite like you know, you buy it something and then it just it didn't purchase, you know, the shoe. It just, it, that was just the transaction just didn't happen. And then you have to go back and reload and wait, restart the app, yeah. give it an hour, try again, then you get it. So you're right. There's a, there's a certain degree of almost warning people to be, don't put everything in out of the gate because you're, you should expect the unexpected along the way, right? There's still hiccups. It's still being developed, all of this. Yeah. I mean, outside of really doing something crazy, I don't think you're going to lose you know, tons of money. And I always start if you like, if you have to transfer a lot of like a large amount of money, always start with transferring 10 bucks first, make sure everything's good. Everything's working. Um, and then go for the bigger chunks. I never do things in big, big chunks, um, just for security reasons and peace of mind. I will say though, um, to your point, as far as, you know, even the apps out now, they're a bit janky. About six years, five years ago, I gave a, a talk at um, at uh, a crypto conference, a blockchain crypto conference, and my topic was on usability and you know best practices uh, for designing in this world. And one of the big takeaways that I gave was exactly kind of what you said was. You know, it's not perfect. We have to accept that. But we as designers should tell people that 
Make sure you copy this, copy this to a secure place, or write it down physically on paper, lock it up, or the network is slow today, you know, in a friendly voice, telling them you could wait up to five minutes for the transaction to go through so they're not panicking. Because guess what? There is no tech support. <laughs> there literally is no tech support. You have to figure this stuff out. That's a really great point. But uh, that was one of the, yeah, the, that was one of the topics that I brought up. And so understanding when, you know, what level user are you talking to? Um, and at what points do you offer up information, relative information, um, to keep someone's mind at ease, to make sure that they understand transactions were successful or unsuccessful, and how much information do you hide or suppress or layer and with, um, for maybe advanced use? With freedom comes a certain responsibility, I suppose. You know, you're, you're owning your own transactions, but you're right. There's no one left to call upon once you have that freedom. Now it's on you. If, if, if something, you know, you run into a problem or if you make a mistake, I think that's a great level of advice. Start small, do your research, don't get too ambitious too quickly. And it, and it, you learn quickly when you jump in. I think that's the thing. There's, there's no shortcut yeah. to, um, you know. But just try it. Yeah. You know, literally get involved and try it. And get involved in the conversation. You'd be surprised how many phenomenal communities are out there. And people want you to kind of get involved. They don't care how much you're investing. They just want to see that you're interested. And perhaps, you know, pose some really interesting technical or philosophical questions that challenge uh, challenge your way of thinking or the way that blockchain is created. Th that's the whole idea. Freedom of thought and freedom of movement, uh, both economically and, and, and virtually, you know? I think that's a fantastic point to end on. Um, for uh, viewers or listeners, I'll be sure to include, we'll have a medium companion piece, which will include a lot of uh, links to different places where you could start and where you can kind of begin your research and begin your journey on this. Uh, it's a spectacular field. Of course, you can always join uh, the conversation with us on Discord or reach out to us at arctai.com. Um, Rich, any final takeaways before we uh, jump off? Um, I mean, for anyone new to this, don't be afraid. Dig in, listen to our podcasts, of course. Every uh, week. Like, subscribe, yep. and share. Yep. Um, <laughs> like, subscribe, and every share. Every week. I know, and, um, so many reminders. Yeah. And, 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 you know, all joking aside, we are trying to set up a Discord community that really does cater to the 101 school. We will have a glossary. We'll have thought leadership in there. Um, who knows, there may be, you know, down the road investment type of uh, opportunities via, you know, white labeled uh, projects and or, uh, you know, venture capital, who knows, but like sky's the limit. That's what's really, really interesting to me. So have fun, get involved and hit us Thanks, up. Thanks, everybody.